This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best in your sports talk for Monday, February the 11th. I'm your host, D.A. And over the weekend, surprisingly, the biggest sports story in America was a spring football league. The AAF debuted on Saturday and on Sunday and shockingly did better television ratings than the national game of the NBA on ABC. Now, can this league hold on to these huge ratings? Obviously not. But is there enough to like about the league? Seemingly so. Almost every sports radio show in America seemed to at least touch on it, and some of the major ones even led with the AAF. Let's start with Boomer and Geo, Boomer Esiason and Greg Giannotti on WFAN in New York and on CBS Sports Network, discussing whether there is a future for the Alliance. I, I'm not going to sit here and, and just actually start hammering away at guys, especially after the first <laughs> well, week. He's so like, you, are, you have to run This realize. isn't just the first week. This guy's been struggling since the second yep. he got drafted but, by Mike. But Jagger. you have to understand, you're, they're they're playing in a in a league that essentially started four weeks ago, and they've had some scrimmages and they've and they've gone over a few things and things of that nature. But they they're nowhere near a finished product and won't be probably until uh, still two or three years down the road. It's, a, it's almost they're starting up an entire league. I get it. I mean, I and I kept thinking, too, with this one, there's going to be two more leagues that start next year. Is well, there going to be one? One definitely. I don't know about I don't know about that freedom. That football freedom football league. league. Yeah, I I, it can't it can't exist. It can't survive. I mean, you're telling me two spring football <clears throat> leagues is a lot. Now you're going to add three of them. I'll tell you, this will work once it's uh, once if this if this hits the, you know, the betting parlors and all that other stuff. And I think it already has. Uh, I already asked Al if he's going to give a four-team uh, parlay <laughs> uh, for next week. Oh, they'd love he, that. Al needs to do a little bit more scouting of the teams, he was saying. Nah. Um, I, the more that this becomes a little bit more mainstream and you can bet on it, now all of a sudden there's a that whole other aspect to it where the interest is there. So 2.9 million people on a Saturday night. Yeah, that's the, the very week, impressive. The, the week after the Super Bowl? Very impressive. Now, remember, the XFL debut was huge back in the day. It was it 2001? It was absolutely huge. I think it almost did 6 million viewers. Well, they were trying to reinvent the wheel. They had all these crazy rules and all that right. other stuff. And everybody it, was into it early on. Now, it yeah, didn't last, but, but this, people but were into the, it. But this league, is not, this league is more tied to NFL rules. This league is more of an extension of the NFL, and they're trying to improve on replay they're trying to improve on you hearing the coaches and the quarterbacks and all that other stuff so i would just say that there are they are testing some things here which is good and see how it may impact the game moving forward at the big league but i don't know i don't see anything wrong with it i don't see anything wrong with another season of football especially this time of year when there's nothing going on oh yeah no there's nothing wrong with it 
by any stretch of the imagination. I was also watching that game between Memphis and Birmingham having flashbacks because that Legends field is where I was carted off on a stretcher with a gallbladder attack during the BBVA Compass Bowl between Pitt and Old Miss. So I said, all right, I think that's the route I took on the stretcher. I think that's where the ambulance picked me up and took me to that hospital in Birmingham. So that's what I was doing. I was watching Christian Hackenberg and having memories of getting carted out of there on a stretcher. I think two things stood out this weekend. Number one, pace of play. People loved it. It was a a two-and-a-half-hour football game. We never see that in the NFL And we never see that in college. Big-time college football sometimes runs nearly four hours. So to chop off 90 minutes to your longest college football game or at least a half hour to 45 minutes of your regular NFL game got a lot of people juiced up. I think the other thing was they allowed the players to play. You saw big hits, especially on the quarterback. And we are so conditioned to waiting for the flag to fall at the feet of the QB as soon as he is roughed up. It was refreshing. It was a change of pace. It was therapeutic to see quarterbacks have to take the same punishment everybody else does on the football field. The one thing in the AAF is there's no kickoffs. Offenses start on the 25-yard line. Rick and John on 92.9 The Game in Atlanta discussed watching the Atlanta Legends game this weekend and the AAF debut. Matt Sims was on the Falcons practice squad from 2015 to 2017. Mm -hmm. Uh, Six years in the NFL, you know, on the fringe. He sucked on Saturday night. I mean, he (laughs) absolutely sucked on Saturday night. 15 of 28, 126, no touchdowns, two picks. Uh, Just wildly missing uh, open receivers. Like, huh? Really? You're a pro? What's up? And uh, and he beat out Aaron Murray for the competition. Uh, John, I think it's only a matter of time before Aaron Murray uh, uh, takes over this job from Matt Sims. Yeah, meaning and, like this week. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll tell you this, John. Uh, Aaron Murray, to me, brings more cachet and more attention and more identity to your football team yep. than Matt Sims. So I, I think it's kind of a no-brainer that they should go that way. Um, I hope the NFL does not do away with the kickoff. I think it would be really the wussification of America would continue if you get rid of the kickoff. Some of the great moments in football history, Devin Hester returning the opening kickoff of a Super Bowl, those don't happen if you take that away. There's guys that are going to make, you know, I think Devin Hester potentially is a Hall of Famer. Think about the returns that Deion Sanders had. You need to have that in the game. And I I understand they they always want to continue to go with the safety card, and that's part of it. The AAF, if you're doing that, well, you were letting guys obliterate each other on Saturday night. And I think part of that, the allure of football, we all like the violence of the game. I don't like a football game without kickoff. I don't I don't like a game that takes, you know, you got to think about it. That's 22 guys on the field. A lot of them, their only jobs hinge around special teams. So, I, you know, I don't want to take that away. That, that, to me, it's a necessary part of the game. It's a necessary part of field position. I think there's certain teams that you're better when you're on special teams. You can gain a competitive advantage because of your special team. Um, look, it, it, this isn't about safety. I'm cynical. It's not about safety. It, it's, it's about speed of the game. Mm-hmm. That's what it's about. And they can say it's about safety and, and reducing concussions and all that, and it sounds great and it makes headlines. It's not about that. It's about game flow. It is about speed it up. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. It's the fast food microwave society, okay? Uh, The powers that be with all these leagues want quicker games. They want faster games. Every single one of them wants it, okay? Uh, That's fact. That's not me speculating. They all want faster games. This is about game flow, not about safety. But, John, 
Every kickoff in the NFL goes into the end zone anyway. Every single kickoff in the NFL goes into the end zone. Every single one. Onside kick percentage this year was the worst it's ever been in NFL well, history. Well, because they changed the rule of yeah. being able to run up, and that's I under, that was more under the player safety. Even the balls that go in the end zone, guys still try to return kicks. We still have kick returns. Yeah, there are the majority go deep into the end zone. If you want the kick return back, move the kicker back so they're not pounding it nine yards deep in the but, end zone. But you just made so that po- they're not going to like reverse these rules that they've already these tweaks they've already put in place to the kickoff and the onside kick. They're not going to go the other way. I think they're only going to go you know forward with eliminating the kickoff. I think what what the NFL has been trying to do is is like slowly remove it from us, make it less and less relevant, and then. Whoosh, they can just, like, pull it away from us. Um, I frankly don't care. John, I got to call out our head coach, Kevin Coyle. And uh, you remember the soundbite we heard from him on mm-hmm. Friday talking about Brad Childress and then Michael Vick saying, right. you know, I, this ain't going to work out for me. Um, really left the Atlanta legends high and dry. Oh, yeah. In terms of head coach and offensive coordinator. And I think because of it and the offensive line was terrible. Mm-hmm. I, I think this Dreadful. might be a long season for the Atlanta legends. But we will follow it. We're going to hang in there with it. So, look, people will wonder if the Alliance is a worse brand of football because there's no kickoffs. I don't think so. I think as the guys kind of alluded to, so many kickoffs go out of the back of the end zone anyway. Most never get returned. Then what are we really missing here? It's starting up the offense even quicker. One less wasted play on most drives. I think no kickoffs make sense. And if the NFL wants to utilize the Alliance one day as kind of a guinea pig of sorts, as a lab for some rules changes or rules alterations, this is going to be one of the first. They want to eliminate and eradicate the kickoff. We've seen this slowly but surely over the last couple of years. And just flat out eliminating it in the AAF is the first test case to see how that would work. I'm fine with it. In the NBA, the Boston Celtics are a true enigma. At times, they can look like one of the best teams in basketball. At other times, they blow 28-point leads to the L.A. Clippers. What is going on with the Celtics? And do they finally deserve some criticism? And are we finally asking the question, is Brad Stevens no longer the genius or the golden child that so many people thought he was? Chris Mannix joined Dale and Keefe on WEEI in Boston. Is Brad Stevens going to be in for some of the first real criticism of his Celtics tenure? I mean, the short answer is yes. Um, You know, up until this point, he's, you you know, taken a place among the NBA elite coaches, but up until this point, he's kind of coached the underdog teams, the the teams with not low expectation necessarily, but tempered expectations. This is the first year where there have been outsized expectations, and this team has failed to meet them. There there certainly uh, appears to be locker room chemistry issues. There are obviously on-court chemistry issues, and you know we, we spent four years, guys, praising Brad Stevens, deservedly so. I, I still believe he's one of the best head coaches in the NBA. But, you know, when when you get the praise, you, the criticism comes with it. What's the Brad Stevens-Kyrie Irving relationship like? I think it's fine. I don't think it's as – look, one of the reasons that Brad Stevens has developed such a strong rapport with the likes of Isaiah and Evan Turner and Jay Crowder and so many guys that have come through here is that they have been – you know, average to above average players that Brad has elevated to a higher level. I mean, Kyrie Irving came to Boston already at the highest of levels. He's an all NBA point guard. And while I think there's 
a healthy amount of respect between the two, and certainly a lot of conversation that goes on between the two, it's just not the same situation really as any player that Brad has coached uh, before. All that being said, I mean, you know, Kyrie has seen just how good an X's and O's coach that he is. He's seen what happened in the playoffs last year when the Celtics made their run and, and Brad's contributions to it. So I think it's strong. I just don't think you can compare it to any of the other relationships because of what Kyrie was coming in. We had this argument earlier on in the program where I said the Celtics were a better team last year than what they've been so far this year. How stupid is that? Yeah, it, it, it's crazy. I think they just had, I mean, they just had better chemistry last year and everybody kind of knew their roles and embraced their roles. And I do think having, you know, lower than, than normal expectations going into the postseason, even as a high seed, uh, benefited them. You know, they, they still were kind of this upstart team led by a whole bunch of young players with their two superstars uh, on the sideline. But they just, they played together. And, you know, the ball moved and everybody knew, you know, who the top offensive option was. Most nights that was going to be Jason Tatum. Uh, Terry Rozier knew he was going to get 35 minutes a night as a starting point guard. Al Horford was the glue guy, kind of putting it all together. Uh, they, they just seemed to be really comfortable, you know, playing, uh, you know, with each other. This group, you know, not so much. And, you know, every time we think we have a bead on what this team is, you know, December, eight-game winning streak, all right, they start to turn it around, then they stumble over the holidays. You know, the month of January, 10-1 and one at home uh, during that stretch, they figured some things out. These last two games blowing 18, you know, 20-plus point leads to inferior teams, it just – every time they take two steps forward – they take one big step back, and it's, it's pretty hard to explain. Now, Marcus Morris's comments were obviously pretty damning over the weekend, talking about how you know they're not having any fun, and you know you look around the league, and other teams are having fun. Guys on the bench are rooting for each other, and somebody even followed up. You might have even been there. Somebody followed up about, well, when you guys won ten out of eleven, was that fun? <laughs> and he wouldn't even give you that. He was just like, nah, it hasn't it hasn't been fun here. So what what does that say about the? the you mentioned chemistry already, but it seems like this group certainly does not enjoy playing together. Yeah, you know, at times, from from where I sit, at times it seems like there's just almost a competition between the veteran players and the younger players. And we've seen it kind of manifest itself in, in some dust-ups. Jalen Brown has been involved in some. And, and look, every time there is, you know, something goes wrong, I mean, Marcus Morris took it to a different level, but how many times after games that they've struggled – have we heard effort? And how many times have we felt like that's been a veteran player targeting one of the young players? And I think that's that's kind of increased the divide within the locker room. I don't think that they, I don't think they don't like each other. I just think there are a lot of guys in different places in their careers, and they're all trying to do different things. Plus, you have Gordon Hayward, who is you know trying to find his way while trying to find his rhythm at the same time. It's just a very kind of discombobulated bunch that's inside that Celtic locker room. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 
I don't think you can look at what the problems are with the Celtics and not ask why Brad Stevens can't get better out of this team. Now, I think nobody's going to say that Stevens is a bum. I don't think anybody thinks that Stevens is totally overrated, but he's got to share some of the blame in why a really talented team with very high expectations isn't playing to its capability. And I also think that when it comes to Brad Stevens, he has had so much good press over the early part of his career that a lot of NBA coaches were asking themselves, well, why does that guy get every break? Why does nobody criticize him? Why does everybody just assume the best with Stevens? And now they might be smiling behind the curtains that he's finally taken on some of that criticism, and I think deservedly so. Over the weekend, one of the best baseball players ever to live passed away. Frank Robinson was the first ever African-American manager in Major League Baseball. He also hit more than 580 home runs. He was also the only guy ever to win the American League and National League MVP. He was a member of the Reds until he was 30, and then he was shipped to Baltimore to be a member of the Orioles, where his career once again was fortified as a Hall of Famer. Cal Ripken played alongside Frank Robinson, and Cal joined the Sports Junkies on 106.7 The Fan in D.C. What's his memories of Frank Robinson? I've been thinking a lot about Frank here the last couple of days. Frank was uh, very instrumental uh, in certain parts of my career. I remember uh, he taught me how to hit again when I thought I forgot how to hit. <clears throat> really? He, he told me the story. It was about halfway through your career. And when, you're, when you have a long career, you really don't know what are, the, what are the signs that your career is coming to an end. You know, all of a sudden you don't get any hits and you feel like you can't hit and you wonder, I mean, is it happening at 32? And uh, I remember uh, sitting with Frank Robinson and he said, you know what? He said, I had the exact same ha- thing happen to me. All of a sudden, uh, about halfway through my career, I started thinking about things and doubting it. And he said, and then I had to re- rethink it. He says, you didn't learn, you didn't forget how to hit. We'll just have to work back from the beginning. So I think that was one of the few times where my dad couldn't help me. Um, but someone like Frank, who had a long career that could experience that, dad knew everything about baseball. And he was the encyclopedia of baseball, except he didn't experience those kind of things. Hmm. And so it was really meaningful to me that Frank took the time to sit down and kind of share his feelings in the middle of his career, his Hall of Fame career. And uh, it really gave me a starting point. And we, we came back, and, uh, and then I came, I came back the very next year and had my best year. Hmm. So when that happened, Cal, uh, I'm not sure what year you're talking about, but when that happened, was it just a confidence thing or was it a fundamental thing? or was Were you breaking down physically? What exactly was it? No, there wasn't a whole lot of breakdown physically. It was more mentally. Yeah. Um, that and and it was a it was a difficult time in Oriole history. If you go back and really want to get get into it, it was a time when we went to a rebuilding. My dad got a chance to be the manager for a brief period of time. My dad got fired. Frank Robinson replaced him at that time. So there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of emotions that were going around center, centering around uh, who was to blame for the rebuilding. You know, did Dad get a fair shot? You know, uh, uh, and we all were assembled. You know, together and so. Uh, Frank came in, you know, right after uh, my dad was fired. He took over, and he pulled my brother Billy and myself into a uh, side room and said, look, he said, I didn't lobby for this. I didn't get it. I didn't try to get this job. He said, but it's happened. And he said, and somebody's got to fill fill this role. And he goes, I think I'm the best person suited for this role. And I just wanted you guys to know that. Mm -hmm. So I thought that that was a really cool thing that he did. That um, instead of avoiding it um, and, and avoiding some of the emotion, he just he just took it right uh, right not to us, but he uh, 
he kind of uh, um, put the right words um, in the situation at the right time to give us to give us a starting point. And you, and you believed him too, right? That was key. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, for yeah. sure. The uh, I mean, Edward Bennett Williams, uh, our owner at the time, he was sick, and uh, and I think that there was an urgency to try to to rebuild faster. You know, we were really good, as you know, in '83. We were really good in '84, but the Tigers were a little bit better. You know, our offense was good in '85, um, but our uh, pitching wasn't so good. '86, we made some changes in a in free agency. I think we got Lee Lacy, Don Ossie, and Fred Lynn. So we still had a nucleus of of some players that could win, but then all of a sudden, uh, you know, when our when our pitchers like Scotty Scotty McGregor and uh, and Jim Palmer and and Flanagan started changing uh, changing out, we didn't have someone to replace that. So it, it was a difficult time um, in general, and I think uh, looking back on it, you know, uh, there was Frank played Frank, Frank played a pretty good role to try to stabilize that. Man, when you talk about a career. You talk about a pioneer, one of the greats of all time. Frank Robinson is absolutely in that conversation. That guy was trailblazer in many ways. That guy was an unbelievable baseball player. He suffered a few fools, so people might have been scared to get in his way. But, boy, Frank Robinson leaves behind an amazing legacy. Again, how about being the only guy ever to win an MVP in both the National and American League and being the first ever Major League Baseball African-American manager, not to mention 580-plus home runs at a time before steroids. Hard to top that type of list of accomplishments. And February being Black History Month is a pretty good reason to really focus in and hone in on how great Frank Robinson's career truly was and what his life in baseball really meant. In baseball, everybody's talking about how Manny Machado and Bryce Harper still are not signed, but only days away from pitchers and catchers reporting. And so everybody's blaming the system here of Major League Baseball and really owners that don't want to shell out too much money. But how about the players themselves? Do they deserve some of the blame? Rob Dibble joined Dan Cilio on 97.3 The Fan in San Diego and ask the question, maybe Bryce Harper and Manny Machado are just not good enough to get the deals they think they deserve. Bryce Harper putting it out there a couple years ago for $400 million. Last year was the first time the guy got 100 RBI, and he hit 249, and he had 34 home runs. So when, when you're asking for four $500 million, you have to kind of back it up. you got to win some world championships. You know, if it was LeBron James was the free agent right now, I'd be worried. But Bryce Harper... Uh, and after what J.D. Martinez did for $110 million and, and second in the MVP, he had 43 home runs and 135 RBI, he was amazing, and his team won a championship. It's kind of hard to double up on that and ask for 220 or 300 or $400 million. So I think the players are at fault. I definitely think the teams are at fault, and the system needs to be changed. I mean, you have the NFL's got a salary cap, the NBA's got a salary cap, but I love the floors, Dan. Because the floors are about ninety percent, and let's just say the the cap in Major League Baseball was a hundred million. Every other team would have to spend at least ninety million, and that's where the problem lies. Last year, and it's hard to argue with this. Tampa Bay won ninety games; they had a payroll of forty three million dollars. Wow! So how do you basically say, you know, hey, we want to pay some guy thirty thirty five million dollars when? An entire team's payroll got them 90 wins in the toughest division in baseball in the American League East. You know, then you look at the A's. The A's had the second lowest payroll at 67 
million last year, and they still did wonderful things. So, you know, when you're, you're being rational about this, yeah, it's a bad look for baseball to have their two top uh, free agents still out there, but there's over 100 unsigned free agents. There's so many unsigned free agents, and that is the big problem. That's the big picture, and that's why you, st- you have to start talking about a salary cap to get you to a salary floor to make sure these teams – they made $10 billion last year. $10 billion. There's no reason why 30 organizations can't spend a little bit more on free agency this year. Wow. Look at Trout. Look at Machado. All of these players. It's the only sport, isn't it, Rob, where, hey, a LeBron James could change the dynamic of a conference right. and a team, but in baseball, you got the best player in the sport on your team. That doesn't necessarily translate into a World Series flag, does it? No, not at all. And, and Manny Machado didn't help himself with teams with his – you know, I'm not going to hustle comment. Then he tried to backtrack on it. Listen, it doesn't take a genius to go, well, Bryce Harper had zero outfield assists last year. Zero. He's not a great defender. So, you know, when you're doing analytics and you're hitting 249 and you've got all these guys from Yale, Harvard, Columbia, Brown that now work in these front offices, uh, it, it doesn't take a genius to be like, I'm not paying this guy $300 million. I'm not paying him $400 million. So, you know, it's the other guys I'm worried about. The the Dallas Keuchel's and the, and the guys that have championship rings that are not getting jobs, they're not even getting invited into spring training, is trying to get a minor league contract. That's where Tony Clark, the Players Association head, has to be tougher. Listen, Don Fear went over to the NHL Players Association. Those guys are getting the biggest contracts they've ever seen. And that's because Don Fear holds the ownership and the teams accountable. And he learned that from baseball. So we, we need – Strong people that are leading the player association to say, hey, listen, the time has come. We can't have you guys not signing these people. They're making great trades. Their real Mudo trade was a great trade for the Phillies. Um, so they're making great trades. They're just not they're not busy signing these free agents. And that's my biggest worry is that we're going to see a different trend and a lot of guys that thought they were going to make this. So my biggest thing is, Dan, free agency is after six years. Make free agency after three years. And so a guy is still in his prime, he's 25, 26 years old, and then teams, it's not you're forcing them to sign him, they'd be crazy not to sign him. The reality of Major League Baseball has changed, and owners and GMs don't want to spend that type of money on guys entering their 30s. They certainly don't want to spend that money on guys in their mid-30s. And so for 25- and 26-year-olds like Harper and Machado, Asking for a 10-year deal is a non-starter for most front offices. And I also think that if Bryce Harper is going to get some massive money on short-term deals, it's worth looking at that. Hey, why not take a two-year, $70 million deal right now from the San Francisco Giants or the L.A. Dodgers or the New York Yankees or whatever and then restart your clock two years from now? You're only going to be 28 years old at that point in time. You know, LeBron has done this now. Kevin Durant has done this. Basketball players have done this to grab control of their careers and make sure they're surrounded by winners and don't entrap themselves in bad situations. So why wouldn't these two guys do the same thing and change the baseball dynamic? And finally, the trade for Tobias Harris last week made Sixers fans swoon. And now a couple of games in, they see a Philadelphia team that some are calling the best starting five in basketball outside of Golden State. Right now, after a couple of wins, should Sixers fans allow themselves to dream? Dream of perhaps winning it all? Here's Joe DeCamera and John Ritchie on WIP in Philadelphia. So I think you got to go back 35 years 
since we've seen a 76ers team this talented. And yes, that means more talented than the 01 Sixers. And I don't think there's even any debate. Way more talented. 01 Sixers, one of my two favorite sports teams of all time, Philadelphia, along with the 93 Phil. So no disrespect to them. Love that team. Love that team more than this one right now. But talent, my God, this team's got talent. You know, I'd said on Friday that uh, I'd, I'd rank the Celtics above the Sixers. You had as well. I'm ready to flip-flop that to me, Sixers to the one spot. And and, and, even, and even beyond that. That's quick. In the, it is quick. It, was a quick. it was a quick change. Don't you think you're getting a little ahead of yourself no, here, I, Joe? No, I don't. And even beyond that, John. I mean. Even beyond that. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. We, yeah. It was exciting. No, it's phenomenal. It was exciting. I mean, yeah. like, boom, yep. exciting. Yep. But come on, man. Come on and say that. I think they're better than the Yes, Don't do. go crazy. John, don't go a little step too further. far. I'm not, I'm not even done. So you need to slow down. And, and you wait. need to stop and like a, before you go somewhere. And like a Ginzu. And yet there's more. Wait, But wait, there's more. Look, Golden State's the best team in the NBA, and Golden State's probably going to win the finals. But I will tell you this, John. Yesterday was the first time that I've watched the Sixers where I said to myself, they actually could beat the Golden State Warriors. Now, look, Golden State is well, yeah, an all-time. They, could, they just did. No, but I'm not. They can no. beat them in a game. No, no, no. I'm talking four out of seven. Look. A series? With, with, the, with the Sixers put it. Golden State You've puts. you definitely taken this. Dude, they put some far. serious. I mean, the talent they put. I know. I, do me a favor. Unbelievable Don't bring talent. me down right out of the gate here. I mean, that one was unbelievable what we saw the last couple of days. I look. There is. I know Golden State walks on the floor, and they, they, as Brett Brown would say, they walk in the gym, right? And they got talent. Well, so do the Sixers. That five is Simmons, Redick, Butler, Harrison, and Embiid. I mean, that is some firepower. Look, I want to hear from everyone today. Eight 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 seven two nine ninety four ninety four. What you saw over the weekend from the Sixers, and what you project moving forward, John? What'd you make? <sighs> ben took a three. Yeah, <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, Almost made it, too. It, in and out. It rimmed out. I Not the end of a quarter, by the way. Ah, right. right? It wasn't a desperation no. three. It was an actual three-pointer. <laughs> it was his third attempt of the season, and it kind of looked good. Uh, wait, I tell you what, just keep doing that. Get that on film. That will eventually yeah. change the way people play you, hopefully, if you keep doing it. Uh, I think that, I think that, alone tells me that Ben is committed to getting better, you know, himself. Like he is doing the things that we know he's uncomfortable doing. Yep. I think that you think he the did, fact that think he, he did, did a, that with this new group yeah. here is it sort of signals like, listen, man, it's about now. Like now that we've got this assembled, it's time to, you know, get serious. Like, we do have the talent. After the game, immediately after the game, Joel Embiid, the Lakers game, is is interviewed on the floor. Great and interview. he says, we are ready to compete, essentially. Like, we have what it takes to go to the finals, yeah. to compete against the Warriors. I like, I'm assuming, maybe I'm reading in a little bit, but I don't think Joel Embiid is saying, hey, I think, I think we're ready to compete in the second round right. of the playoffs, I agree. The Eastern Conference. He's talking about competing for the whole shebang. He's not, you know. No, I loved it. Not second guessing, like what level well, of competition here. He means that this team has the talent to do what you're talking about. Yeah. 
little hint for Sixers fans. Don't dream about winning a championship. You can dream about getting to an NBA Finals, but don't scar yourself. But don't scar yourself. Don't poison your life by expecting or dreaming of championships. I mean, let's face it. As good as the Sixers might be, right now nobody is in the same stratosphere as the Golden State Warriors. Barring collapse or injuries, they're going to win a championship again. So can Sixers fans dream of their first NBA Finals since Allen Iverson and the Sixers in 2001? Sure. But beyond that, don't get ahead of yourself. Right now, it's way too early to be putting yourselves in that type of corner. That'll do it. That's the best of your sports talk for Monday, February the 11th. We'll see you tomorrow, everyone. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 